Welcome to Volume 2 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, August 1998, The Land of Extreme, our review of Heatwave and Hardcore TV. I am joined this month by our illustrious leader, Rory McNamara. How the devil are we, sir? Good evening, all. And our legal department, Mr. Eric Lindstrom. How the devil are you, sir? I figured uh, with ECW's big heatwave pay-per-view, there might want to we might want to have a little legal oversight here. So I'll just sit here in the corner with my pencil and look ominously. Well, we will have a callback to something from last month, and it's uh, legal talk from uh, the pay-per-view that we will come to later. Uh, volume one this month is the WWF's SummerSlam, and Volume three is WWE's Road Wild. As we are five years old this month. As well as your standard regular monthly pro output, there will be three super special bonus shows. These will consist of different types of shows than what you would normally get. Wait till the end of the month and you will see all. If, however, you want them sooner, you can go to Patreon and for as little as $5 US, you can back us and get early access to shows. As always, things like the ECW show goes up fairly early during the month because we get that done early. Um, so, yeah, and it's a thank you. And it's helped for us to do this. $5 and you get stuff super soon. Let's go in to the news. And after last month where there was a little bit of concern, it looks like ECW has a new television deal. So ECW have announced that beginning this month usbb or no ussb even are beginning to air ecw's weekly one hour syndicated tv show usbb is also good to have on because they are a pay-per-view provider and they will be taken over from direct tv who originally are the primary pay-per-view outlet for home satellite systems and uh, Chris, we'll talk about the show here in a minute uh, extensively, but what's the fallout from Heatwave? So after the pay-per-view went off the air, Tammy Sitch came out and said that she is no longer part of the WWF, and she is now full-time in ECW. Heyman came out, and as with most shows and all the pay-per-views, gave a long speech thanking the fans and making sure they knew that they were berating the other organizations ECW was around to stay. Fans also took home parts of New Jack's paraphernalia post-match, including the shopping cart. New Jack, Dreamer and Stanman handed out bits to all of the fans in person. The buy rate for Heatwave is said to be in the same neighbourhood as the previous event, with pay-per-view trade journals not coming out as of yet, so we're not getting a chase down of the figures. And... In something that surprised most people, pay-per-view bonus checks were handed out 
after the show, but not everyone was pleased with the amount they got. The pay-per-view had 4,000 plus fans with a in-house take-in of about $100,000. And uh, Unhappy Sandman, is he on the way out? So Sandman and ECW have been going through a publicized contract dispute over the last few weeks. At one point, Sandman actually quit ECW because of others getting the as for mentioned pay-per-view bonuses and getting bigger ones than he did. But by early on a couple of sort of weeks there, a deal was agreed. Sandman is getting a $3,000 week guarantee, not including the pay-per-view bonuses, which are believed to be between $4,000 and $7,500 so far. His new deal will remain the same for the next year with the following six pay-per-views. Sandman will also receive two more bonuses should the increase pay-per-view rates. And what's uh, what's going on with Mike Awesome? So ECW want to sign Mike Awesome to a full-time contract, as he is at the moment currently still employed by FMW. As of time of recording, no news on whether that has been put through as of yet. And... Uh... <clears throat> says here no entry for big dick so big dick dudley has been told that he cannot wrestle in the state of new york following his arrest at the fan riot at last month's saturn island event he's already on probation before the incident so uh, he is uh, not in the police's good books so, anything that you wanted to touch on in the news from this month? Yeah, just quickly, no entry for Big Dick. You're fired, Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get at least one in every time. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot that we can actually get to as uh, we work through the pay-per-view, actually, to be honest. But um, whatever you do, just don't call her Sonny, yeah? <laughs> well, she's still Sonny at the minute. <laughs> So, we open today's show with our review of Heatwave 98. Rory, if you would be so kind to run us through the results. I shall indeed. Just incredible, defeated Jerry Lynn. Chris Candido, with the aforementioned Tammy Lynn Sitch, not Sonny, defeated Lance Storm. Masato Tanaka beat Mike Awesome, and how? Rob Van Damme and Sabu defended the tag team titles against Hayabusa and Jinsei Shinsaki. Taz defeated Bam Bam Bigelow for the FTW Heavyweight Championship. And in our main event street fight, the team of Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman, and Spike Dudley defeated the Dudleys with all the other Dudleys. So, opening thoughts on the sort of build-up going into this show. Were you as excited as I was knowing what we've seen so far sort of getting to this point. Eric? Boy, I tell you, the match card on paper, uh, even just looking at it here in my notes, uh, this is probably the best card ECW could have uh, put together right now. And so, you know, on one hand, it's like, oh, this show's absolutely going to be amazing. And then on the other hand, the cynical wrestling fan, it's like when you're this looking forward to something, it's like, well, I can only be disappointed. And so going into the show, I was excited and nervous about like, oh, this, this should be great, this should be awesome, but then what if it's not? And then what does that say about 
ECW and, you know, this positive momentum. And so I was just very apprehensive going into the show because I was looking forward to it so much. And, on, and, 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 and you know, on, on most fronts, it delivered. Same to you, Rory? Yeah, this felt like a very important show, one that feels that they've been building up to for a very long time. They've spent most of the summer doing so. And I don't think it's a stretch at all to say this was their best pay-per-view so far. Certainly the one I enjoyed the most. Still one or two things, one within their control, one possibly not, which I would have added to make it an all-timer. But this really was an excellent show, which everybody should seek out. So we will start, as with most ECW shows, with Joey in the ring introducing Shane Douglas and Francine. We get a little bit of chit-chat between them and a terrible boob job joke. Our first contest of the evening sees Just Incredible, who's joined with Chastity, Jason and Nicole Bass, going against Jerry Lynn. Lynn opened up with some arm drags. Justin hits some knees, then we get a chop battle. Lynn, with a quick roll-up, gets a two and a crossbody for a two, and then another quick roll-up for another two. A tilt-the-whirl head scissors and a clothesline to the outside. He goes up the top rope and hits a crossbody out to the floor. Back into the ring, he hits a front suplex and gets a two. Justin then reverses the tilt-the-whirl into a reverse DDT. Hits some punches and gets a chair-assisted knee smash as Jason holds the chair over just over Jerry Lynn's face. Then hits a powerbomb onto said chair. Back to the outside, Jason puts the boots in and we get another chop battle. Justin smashes a, f- a fan with the beer in the face. Remember, Remember that. that. Remember that. Justin gets caught doing a top rope axe handle and that's turned into an atomic drop. Justin hits a high impact spinning sidewalk slam and gets two, a headlock and then down into a two count. We get the two count pin combinations until Lynn hits the tiger bomb for a two. A top rope hurricane runner gets a two and then a side slam. Justin then manages to reverse a top rope dive into a power bomb and then gets a chair. Lynn reverses a face drop into a DDT on said chair. Chastity puts his foot puts Justin's foot on the rope to stop the count. Lynn then goes up for a top rope stunner, hits a top rope hurricane rana to the outside for a table, back into the ring where Jason is there with a the chair, but he eats it with a tiger bomb. Nicole Bass comes in, tries for a cart of carry, but Lynn manages to low blow her, then hits her with a chair. Chastity's now in, and she punts Justin by mistake, and then eats a tombstone. Both men are battling on the top rope. Justin hits a top rope super. That's incredible for the win. Well, we talk about opening matches, you know, being the thing on a card, that can make and break how how we feel about a pay-per-view. These boys knocked it out of the fucking park. Rory, what can we yeah. say? We can say pretty much only good things about this one. I still more than have my reservations about Credible, but there's no debate that he was really trying in this one. I think he sensed that he was given 15 minutes at the start of the pay-per-view, and he wouldn't just be able to 
slowly meander his way around the ring like I still think he is wont to do. I said a few months ago, I can often see the cogs going off in his head. I still think that's a problem he's got. But I don't think anybody can really argue with the fact that he was definitely trying out there. He was doing his best to hang with Lynn every step of the way. And I think he just about managed it. He still needs a lot of assistance. I think that's why he's got an entourage. Obviously, you can also play that off as the fact they've got high hopes for him, but they're, he's heading up this particular group. I still think it's a bit of a waste of Jason, to be honest, but there you go. But yeah, they really went for it. I think the finish was as emphatic as it needed to be. These two have probably fought each, fought each other enough now. that They've obviously got high hopes for Credible. They're moving him into a feud with Sandman. Lynn is just so solid. You always know what you're going to get out of him. He's not an absolute top draw worker, but he's not far off. And if all pay-per-views started like this, then I think we'd all be pretty happy people. Well yeah. done to everybody involved. As I say, I, I really think this is like the the way to finish a feud because each each thing they've done in the matches they've had, because we've had a lot of them, they did it bigger in this. You know, the Hurricane Rana threw the table from the outside, the super that's incredible. It it takes everything that they've done, all the spots, all the drama, all the things that we've had so far, and just took them up an extra level. Eric, we will come back to the beer in a moment, but the match as a whole first. Uh, yeah, and uh, yourself and Rory summed up the work rate aspect of this match wonderfully. The, the moves were crisp. The, the pace was excellent. This was really up there with much of what somebody like the Ultimo Dragon has been doing in WCW since like mid-95, right? I mean, but I mean, at such a hard-hitting and stiff Pace. I mean, you don't necessarily think of Jerry Lynn or just incredible Aldo Montoya as being stiff workers, but they were really laying it in here to the point where, you know, it had an air of believability to it that a match without any psychology really to it uh, typically wouldn't have. And so um, it was a nice mix of a stiff work style with a fast work style, which is, a, you know, my biggest complaint with cruiserweight style matches is they just don't look realistic sometimes. Now, if we're going to poke holes in it, and sometimes we have to because this is you know, an opinion and, and, and review podcast, one thing I will say is there was not a lot of psychology happening in this match, and uh, that's my biggest complaint with matches like this overall, but specifically this just incredible character, I just don't think they figured it out yet because they want him to be this, best I can tell, this kind of like new wave, maybe even like a Ric Flair style leader of this gang, you know, cheat to win, heal to win type uh, type character, but I've really only ever seen this guy win matches when there's just tons of interference. Uh, Jason and Chastity and Nicole Bass, and it takes, you know, all this extra effort to get credible the one, two, three. And the one thing about Ric Flair is that happened a lot. Obviously, it happened a lot with the Horsemen, for example. But uh, in big matches, sometimes Ric Flair just won as well, um, just won clean. And I strike me if I'm if I'm wrong, but I have not seen Justin Credible win a match cleanly on this entire run in, in ECW. Typically, it's been this just gobs and gobs of interference. Am I wrong about that? Um, I think there's a couple of matches against Mikey when he first came in. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's not this, though. That's an enhancement match. That's not a big... You know what I mean? I'm trying to... you but know. Yeah, once it's become sort of in a proper feud and it not being just a, here's this guy... It's pretty much been the entourage have helped with everything. 
And I think that's okay for now because I say all that to say that I think it's okay for now because they truly are still trying to work this character into it and rebuild Just Incredible because everybody knows he's Aldo Montoya. He's already working from, you know, from this position of disadvantage from a fan pers uh, uh, perspective. And so um, he's got to overcome that. All that being said, this is exactly what an opening match needed to be. You know, not every match needs to have everything. And this was a fabulously worked match. Go back and watch this. You know, this is the match that ECW really needed to get this card off the ground. You know, the complaints that I registered are just things that I'd be concerned about long term. But as far as this match goes, they're fabulous. So this is where, Eric, you earn your money. <laughs> so last month, obviously, we had this little incident in uh, Staten Island where ECW made a bold, bold statement that at their events, including their pay-per-views, that the only beverages that were available were Coke, Sprite and water. How on earth would someone have a beer in what to me looks like a plastic pint glass of which you would be served such a, a thing in an arena like they were in if they don't sell such at their events could this come back to bite them in the ass yes <laughs> um i try really hard to put my work hat on the, the the rack and put my you know wrestling hat on my head when i prepare for this podcast but God help me if I'm not watching this, uh, you know, heat wave uh, a week or two ago, however long it was, and um, that was the beginning of the month, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, and all of a sudden, I just see a beer three minutes into the match that Just Incredible takes from a fan who's clearly holding it and drinking it. It smashes it over the Jerry, over Jerry Lynn, and it explodes everywhere. Coats the camera, and I'm just thinking, man, that's the last thing they wanted to happen having just said that they don't serve beer at their events uh, to evade liability for an alcohol-related incident at one of their events. And it's just like, it's unbelievable. If I'm the, the attorney for the other person, I, I'm just like taking the rest of the day off. You know, let's go, let's go hit 18 before it gets too hot out. <laughs> Rory, uh, obviously, I know you weren't there last month to see said incident and uh, obviously us discussing it. But... Any thoughts on ECW shooting themselves in the foot with things like this? It might have been non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> but then does anybody, yeah. act does anybody actually really drink that? Have you tried it? It is just, it is just sugar water, that stuff. The, the, no, no, nobody in their right mind, you know, just, just steer clear. You clutch your straws now, Rory. You can only drink that stuff through a straw. <laughs> Let's just remember the the burden of proof in a civil trial is a lot lower, and so that non-alcoholic, you know, argument you just threw out might work in a criminal trial, but not here, my friend, not here. <laughs> hat off, Landstrom, hat off. All I will say, the possible way they could get out of this one is the fact that they were holding this pay per view in somewhere that wasn't the ECW arena. But come on, but just they didn't need to make this edict in the first place. You know, they must have known that it would not take too long for the Yahoo's to go to ECW shows to find <laughs> some way of getting around it anyway. So come on. But it's the fact that, you know, that one of the top guys comes out chugging cans. Yes. For them to they go, Oh, we have no alcohol here is, uh, it was one of those of both me and Eric said last month that it was one of those where you looked at it and went, 
that's going to come back to bite them in the arse. Didn't take and long. It took it took less than a month. So our next match sees former tag team partners going at it with Lance Storm going against Chris Candido with son Sammy Lynch. We get a gentlemanly open with clean breaks. This doesn't last long. So they then go to exchanging shoulder blocks. That is until Lance hits a spinning heel kick. And we get a stiff chop battle. Lance hits a corner clothesline and a drop kick. Chris then hits a backdrop and then off the top of a back cross body to the outside. Back into the ring, there's a surfboard which is reversed by Storm into a low drop kick. Tammy grabs the leg only for Lance to drop kick the Chris and then follow her around the ring. Back in, Chris hits a running powerbomb to get to two count. The stalling suplex and a middle rope leg drop gets a two. Lance hits a super kick, which gets a two. Chris hits a swinging net breaker that hits a two and a power slam for a two. Chris then hits a front suplex onto the top rope. Lance suplexes him into off the canvas apron onto the floor, then hits a baseball side that puts him over the railings. He then goes off the top rope and dives into the crowd with a crossbody. They exchange punches and then make their way back into the ring. They manage to bump heads only for Chris to fall on top of Lance for the two. Both men make it up to the top rope. Lance hits a superplex off the tippy top. And then a top rope spinning heel kick gets a two count. A tiger bomb gets a two. A springboard into Chris turns he turns into a power slam gets a two count. Lance hits a back elbow. Tammy hands Chris some powder, which Lance slaps into Chris's face. Chris then accidentally hits the ref. Lance super kicks him and goes up top only for Tammy to play grab ass with Lance, which Lance then ends up crotching himself. The ref manages to grab Tammy as Chris rolls him up and in doing so pulls down the top of her dress. Chris manages to hit the Bond bombshell and gets the win. This match was fucking awesome and just shows how good these two are and I can't be the only one that will say this that I could watch these two go at it week in week out if they can do this every week Eric your thoughts yes I agree with you um this was a very good match uh it was worked well uh, you can tell these guys really thought through a lot of the spots uh it didn't have a lot of the it didn't have a lot of the awkwardness or a lot of the straight-out botches that a lot of otherwise great matches will. Um, and I think these guys just have styles that work really well together. Um, this was the match I was looking forward to the most. I said it on the show last month, and, and probably any time I've been on an ECW show this entire year where they've been building up to this uh, this match. And for me, I, I just felt like there was something maybe they were holding back or maybe they know they're going to have a series of matches, whatever it is, but it felt like they were holding back here a little bit. 
felt like maybe it didn't click it at, at times. And I said it was smooth, and it was. But at times, it felt like maybe they were taking uh, uh, easier spots, or maybe they were not necessarily uh, going at the, the rate or at the intensity that I would have liked them to for a match that really felt like it had a nice build. And the other thing that really bothered me from a from somebody who was just looking forward to this match so much was I really wanted the focus to be on the two guys in the ring and it didn't happen because Tammy Lynn's in ECW now. And so we have this match where that's been built up too well between two ring technicians. One guy has no gimmicks and the other guy's name is no gimmicks needed. And yet we have the, the number one gimmick in all of wrestling, Sonny right in the middle of the ring. And then, it's a match that involves powder and ref bumps and all this other and candido stumbling around, you know, like drunk brick flare. And it's just kind of strange. And so I didn't necessarily agree with how the focus of the match got shifted into a bunch of other gimmicks between a guy like Lance Storm who wrestles like he's in fucking mortal combat. I mean, he's the most fluid wrestler I can think of in the ring right now. And Chris Candido, who's just built like a brick shit house and can fly around the ring too. And I just wanted to see those two go at it for 11 minutes. And I didn't really need all the other stuff build up to that, all that other stuff. I think don't throw it all out here. So great match, truly a great match, but not necessarily the match I was hoping they would have in this spot. Fair enough. Um, Rory. Yeah. There's a match later on in the card, which is near universally been described as a disappointment. But I think that more aptly applies here. It wasn't a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. Again, these are two people who I don't think are capable of having one. But as Eric says, there was so much other stuff going on that really got in the way. I thought it really was quite disjointed. They never really had a chance to shine. Far too much gimmickry going on far too often. All the onus was on, don't call her Sonny. I don't think we really needed the outer ring stuff. We didn't need tables getting involved here. And that's one of my problems with the show in general, that the pacing was just a little bit off. They didn't balance out the matches in quite the right way. And taking it all as a whole, it got a little repetitive, a little too early on. I say these two are both supremely talented. Based on what we got on hardcore TV afterwards, I do think we're going to be seeing more matches from them in the future. Hopefully longer ones. Not a disaster by any means. Lots of really promising stuff here, but... I think I've seen enough of these two now where I'm done with the promise and I just want to see it laid out practically. One more thing on this one. I do like a lot Candido's finisher, uh, the blonde bombshell, especially as, oh. it's a move, especially as it's the move he lost to at uh, Survivor Series 95. You can tell I watched that one last week. But yeah, was it Mar- Did Marty hit that? Hit by the boy Marty, yeah. Yes! yes. <laughs> you, are, you are a very trusting man if you let Marty Gennetti hit you with a top rope move. <laughs> Rory, Rory, I had this thought while I was, I watched the show twice. Um, uh, I was able to watch a replay. And I, uh, the one thing that I thought about with this was, was this match just a victim of how really good the rest of the show was? I mean, if this match, I mean, because we're, criti- we're criticizing what I think everybody universally agrees by whatever metric you rate it is an above average to, you know, very good match somewhere in that spectrum. And yet, in the context of the show, even in the context of the first match, it just gets swallowed up. This would have been the best match on most shows. Oh, definitely. I think it's just that it was billed in as much as it can be without them saying it has the work rate match of the show. Exactly And as right. such, it never quite became that. And I think if you're approaching these things as work rate fans, which whether we like it or not, we all are, especially if we want to mix in with the rest of the ECW hordes, 
it's probably not totally unfair to expect a lot. And yet all we got was quite a bit of good. But yeah, I'm not going to come down too heavily on these guys because I'm a, I'm a fan of them both. And I honestly think that there is better to come, but I was really hoping it was going to be here. So we will mention the quote-unquote elephant in the room with the fact of Sonny leaving the Fed and we now have full-time Tammy. Does this affect, A, the triple threat as a whole, you know, because they've already got their cheerleader, and does this affect Chris? Because, as you say, no gimmicks needed now has the biggest gimmick in wrestling. Eric? Man, I I am not one to claim that I know what goes on with Chris Candido and Tammy Lynn Sitch, but what I do know is that it looks like that Chris Candido has flourished uh, more in the last couple of years when they've been separated, uh, Tammy and the Fed and Chris and ECW. You know, she swallowed him up when they were the Body Donnas, and that's probably going to happen again. Um based on what the ECW crowd tends to react to, um, see Beulah and see Francine. Um, I'm truly like wondering where, what Chris is going to do now that Tammy's here to steal all of his heat. And I don't think Tammy's going to take a, a pile driver like Beulah or Francine does. Not, not in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, I think I better come in here very quickly. Um, ECW will push anybody straight out of the Fed. Of course they will. Because, yeah. hey, you, you misuse them, even though I don't think Sonny's been really misused. We're going to do it properly. And this is the place to be. But it is going to affect Candido. She completely overshadowed him in the WWF. She completely, completely overshadowed him in Smoky Mountain when her character was basically Hillary Clinton. So... I'm just concerned because Candido has come on so much, as we say, in the last year, that it's all going to be about the Tamster yet again. But let's face it, she's a very hard person to ignore. That is very, very true. So, the one thing this card didn't need, we lose. As New Jack is seen in a pre-tape from earlier in the evening, outside the building with some fans. He sees Jack Victory and says that they don't have to wait. The Dudleys jump New Jack. We see Balls and Axe will try and make the save. That is until they smash New Jack into a car. I know, I know you're heartbroken that we aren't going to get to see Jack Victory versus New Jack on the pay-per-view. But I feel that we can we can take it and get through this. Do you agree, boys? Solidarity. <laughs> uh, I, I think the work rate on this card may take a little hit, but we'll we'll recover. We then get a promo with RVD and Sabu saying they're going to beat the Japanese losers. We now get our big hoss hard match of the night, seeing Masato Tanaka going against Mike Awesome. Awesome opens with big boots and a top rope elbow drop that gets a two count. They exchange clubbing blows and shoulder tackles. 
Mike hits a belly-to-belly -belly and then a slingshot shoulder block to a splash to a two-count. A clothesline off the top rope, then Mike hits a diving tope to the outside. Back into the ring and up top, he hits a diving lariat for a two-count. A released German suplex, and at this point, Tanaka stands straight up, no selling, as well as Legion of Doom in the 80s. And he hits a stiff fucking power slam. Hits a barrage of clotheslines and then grabs a chair. Hits a running chair shot, goes up top and hits a drop kick and gets a two count. Awesome then dumps Tanaka to the outside and we get a dueling chair spot. That is until Tanaka gets the advantage. Tanaka then back gets backdropped into the crowd. Awesome goes back into the ring and springboard cross bodies into the crowd. Back into the ring, Awesome hits an Awesome Bomb for a two, an Alabama Slam, and then goes up top and hits a splash for a two. Tanaka eats some sick chair shots. Again, these shouldn't be getting hit this way, but fuck me, that boy does take a good chair shot. That only gets two count. Awesome then hits a running power bomb. He then sets up the table outside. A top rope chair shot. At this point, I have to point out the awesome commentary from Shane Douglas, who's just shouting to Awesome, just pin him, pin him, he's down, pin him. Awesome then goes for the super bomb, but Tanaka rolls out only to eat a big boot and a stiff lariat. Again, goes for another awesome bomb. Again, Tanaka manages to get his way free. Tanaka then power bombs Awesome over the top rope through a table with a sick bump to his neck, which looked really bad. Back into the ring, only gets a two count. Tanaka hits the roaring elbow for a two and gets the win after hitting the Tornado DDT on top of the chairs. These two are stiff. They beat the living shit out of each other. Those chair shots are ridiculously super strong. And someone may need to check on Mike Awesome because I'm not sure <laughs> that didn't break his neck. Rory, you hadn't seen the joy that we had last month of these two betting the shit out of each other. Just take it from us. This is even harder than they've been hitting each other for the last month. And we thought that was hardcore. Well, <laughs> that, that, pretty, that pretty much does cover it. This is what we mean when we talk about being given and taking your opportunities. When this match began, there probably weren't too many people in the arena who were all that familiar with these guys. And then 15 minutes later, they were chanting the name of the person who lost. That's what we talk about when we say getting over. These two left it all out there. And I've said so many times about ECW, it's easy to get desensitized to the style. But when they work in stiffness like this, and boy, was this ever stiff. I mean, chair shots are making me cringe now just to think about them again. But you play them out in a match 
context, that's where ECW really comes into its own. And this is one of the best examples of it I can think of in a very long time. So Just, what was your thought on that that table? Oh my word. Um Mike Awesome is six foot eight, six foot nine, three hundred pounds. Tanaka is able to power all the way over the ropes. And the table just disintegrated. There was no give whatsoever when he hit the floor. Now, that it may have not... accelerated his progress, frankly. <laughs> Very possibly. There was no give in, that, in the end of that bump at all. And then he was able to kick out of it. And if anything, in a losing effort, it makes Awesome look even better here. Because he's, he's a huge guy, incredibly athletic. But he isn't just an unstoppable monster. So here he lost and only narrowly lost. Again, it took a mega super duper move to beat him. I think people are going to be even more into him now to see him actually exact his revenge. That is smart booking. It just This match was only about 10 minutes long. It felt a lot longer in the best possible way because they packed so much in there. But because these guys have done this sort of thing in FMW a lot, it wasn't just a mindless fest. It really was a quality match. And it's been pretty much universally praised as the best match of the night. I can't really dispute that point myself. And exhibit A, just look at the chair at the end of the match. <laughs> Eric, we said it last week or last month that these two together are great, yet violent as fuck. And as I said, they managed to top everything we've seen so far between these two. Do you, did you guys ever play? It wasn't a very wide release, but it was a WWF in your house video game. I had it on PlayStation. Did you yep. guys play that? Yes. I, got, I had it for the Sega something. Every move in this match was like at the end of an in your house match where the fucking Heartbreak Hotel would come down and like smash the opponent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you got uh, um, Ultimate Warrior. Uh, uh, was it electrifying his opponents? Right. Or right. Gold Every... turns him into a statue. It's just like that. Yeah. Right. Every move in that in this match was like every finishing move, absurd, like supernatural finishing move from In Your House, the video game. It was insane. I mean, these guys just hit each other with a truck for 10 minutes straight. Rory, you mentioned you hope Mike Awesome gets his revenge on Tanaka for that insane table spot. Low, you corrected. That spot. This match is so beautiful because you watch it and it's just two guys kicking the hell out of each other, but it also is packed full of psychology because these two had a match on Hardcore TV on July 11th where Tanaka won the match and then after the match, Awesome put him through a table just like Tanaka put Awesome through a table in this match. That spot was Tanaka getting his win back essentially on Awesome for doing that to him just a couple weeks later. When I saw that spot, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe, A, they're doing it again because it looked insane the first time they did it. But two, they're doing it in such a way that Masato Tanaka is not only going to win this match, but he's going to get all of his credibility back from how Mike Awesome left him laying after that July 11th hardcore TV match. So this match on multiple levels is just fantastic and hard-hitting, and the chair shots are different, and you have to really uh, just kind of go with them. Uh, if you're going to enjoy something like this. But, you know, on one level, this match is just two guys beating the hell out of each other. On another level, 
and on a level that really, you know, speaks to us as, you know, kind of, you know, smart wrestling fans packed full of psychology callbacks to their other matches. Just really, really good stuff here. Not just the mindless street brawl that it may appear to be on the surface. The one thing that this match didn't have, though, was after the table shot, the nice slide under the guardrail. No, no sliding points here for Mike Awesome, only because he landed on his head. <laughs> that is true. We then uh, get... Yeah, Marie? And no Owen Hart shooting playing cards, but apart from that, <laughs> that's another In Your House reference. <laughs> 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 yes, I love that game. <laughs> You can feel the electricity in the air. What a monster. So we have a Taz promo next where he says that Bam Bam will tap out and he's the only champ that counts. And Dudley's promo, which you will hear now. Well, well, well. Tonight at Heat Wave 98, everybody seems to be thinking that this is the end for the Dudley boys. However, if that's what they feel then nobody seems to be thinking. Because the way I see it, the odds are stacked in the favor of the Dudley boys. After all, New Jack, I guess he's got a prior engagement. I don't think he'll be here. And Beulah, I don't think she's gonna be walking around anywhere near the Dudley boys. The way I see it, once the Dudleyville street fight begins, there's nobody left to save the Sandman, Spike Dudley, and poor, pathetic Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer! The savior of the wrestling industry! Crucified for the sins of Beulah McGillicuddy! Dreamer, you can give your soul to Jesus, but your ass belongs to the Dudleys! That ring is our church! These are our colors! 3D is our cross! And tonight, Tommy Dreamer, it's your cross to bear! Our next contest is for the ECW Tag Team Titles, which sees RBD and Sabu with Bill Alfonso going against Hayabusa and Shinsei Shinzaki. Bless you. Or we also know as Hakushi. Bless you. <laughs> so, to start the match, we have Hayabusa and RVD. We get some great mat work and exchange with the two of them, with both exchanging holds. But at this point, it has to be said, Alfonsi, with that fucking whistle, is annoying as fuck. Hayabusa hits a springboard arm drag, but that gets a little bit messed up. RVD hits him with a stiff elbow and a Japanese arm drag of his own. Hayabusa then hits some leg kicks and goes for a flip kick. You get to a tag to Jinzi, who comes in with a slam and an inverted splash. RVD misses Inseguri, but hits the follow-up. Jinsei then hits a vicious insecurity of his own. We get some elbows and the praying rope walk. This is how you do it, Undertaker. RVD then tries an underhook slam, which is blocked. Jinsei misses a knee drop, and RVD hits a spin kick and spinning leg drop combo. 
we get a tag to Sabu. He comes in, quickly tries to get a two count. A slingshot leg drop gets a two. Some boots, a clothesline gets a two count. And then he puts in an armbar. Tog to high Abusa. Sabu hits a low drop kick and hits the Arabian press that gets a two. Hayabusa does a beautiful backflip drop kick and then hits a low drop kick of his own and puts on a leg lock. We then get a hammer clutch. RVD comes in with a springboard black thick drop kick. Jinsei comes in, hits a springboard drop kick of his own, a baseball slide, and hits an acai moonsault. Then all four are brawling on the outside. Sabu, back in the ring, hits the triple jump into the crowd. RVD hits the guillotine leg drop over the railings. Jinsei and Sabu go back into the ring brawling. That is until RVD comes in and makes a save, hitting a surfboard chair shot combo. Gets a two count. Hayabusa and Jinsei hit a double bulldog springboard and then hits a springboard senton. Knee drop and moonsault combo for a two count. Air Sabu into the corner and RVD hits a spin kick, gets a two. We get a kick and German suplex combination with Hayabusa and Jinsei gets a two. Sabu and RVD hits the Hurricane Rana five-star frog splash combo, which gets a two. Jinsei hits a Pele kick. Hayabusa goes up top. Jinsei hits a power bomb. And Hayabusa hits a 450 splash, which only gets a two. We get Rolling Thunder. Sabu puts Jinsei in a Boston Crab as RVD hits a leg drop from the top rope, which gets a two. RVD and Sabu start double teaming and beating down Hayabusa. That is until Jinsei hits a big top rope shoulder block, which gets a two count of his own. A dragon screw onto RVD. Hayabusa then gets crotched as RVD hits a sidekick chair shot. They then bring a table in, but the table leg breaks. Hayabusa hits a big head kick. Jinsei tries to put RVD through the broken bit of table, but it falls down. He goes anyway and hits a frog splash for a two. Hayabusa then hits a thunder driver for a two. Sabu hits the Arabian Face Buster. RVD hits the Van Daminator. Then they place both the challengers on a table, hitting double top rope leg drops for the win. These four are fucking amazing. And this is everything, everything I want from an RVD Sabu tag match. It's non-stop action. It's the best bits of Sabu, it's RVD showing how amazing he is. Hakushi shows how much he was wasted in the Fed. And I this is the first time I've seen Hayabusa, but he could quite easily walk into any federation in any country and be a top guy. More of the same, please. Eric... How did you feel about this? Man, uh, this show is a marathon and in, in a really in the best way possible, but there's no breaks. The the promos are good, 
the even the Dudleys uh, taking out New Jack uh, was was a good scene. And then these four matches, I mean, we complained about that Candido Storm match, and again, it just got swallowed up into the vortex that it was sandwiched in the middle of you know three four star matches for crying out loud. Um, any match that has a finish that's going to be spliced into the introductory video of every show that ECW runs until the end of time is automatically a great match. And that finish, the visual was perfect. The camera shot was perfect. The table, you know, did business after not wanting to do business earlier in the, in the match, which, you know, that happens. Shit like that happens. It's ECW tables are not going to cooperate. You know, you're dealing with uh, gimmick tables and 250 pound dudes. Sometimes it's just not going to work out. The guy's, got through that only awkward, really awkward spot of the match and got to that finish, which was just unbelievable. And I got to tell you, if you don't know that much about Jensei Sasaki, Hakushi, uh, he had two really standout matches that I can recall off head in, in the Fed in 95. And I'm not, you know, telling any secrets here, but you know, he had a match with Brad at In Your House 1, which I think was May. And he had a match with the kid at SummerSlam 95 from August. And both of those were just fabulous, high work rate matches. And then you see him turn it up even further here and keep, not not just keep up with RVD and Hayabusa, but really set the pace for this match. Three out of the four workers in this match are fabulous. And Sabu is, does his thing and it complements everybody else. Just, man, there isn't. There isn't a match so far on this show to miss, but between Tanaka and Awesome and this match, it's a coin flip to me. Fantastic. Rory? I'm glad we all like this one because this was the match which has been pretty much across the board been labeled as a disappointment. And I think that's more Dirt Sheet Writers or Dirt Sheet Writer just disappointed that his Japanese favorites weren't out there working arm holds for 35 minutes and as such he couldn't really sprinkle his snowflakes all over it. Somebody on these shows rather stupidly said once that wrestling is an international language. I know that because that person was me. He was wrong. Especially for the style which RVD and double especially Sabu work. It takes a lot of cooperation and preparation. And guys like Harbus and especially Hakushi, as I'm just going to call him for the benefits of this for familiarity purposes... These things aren't just going to happen off the cuff. You're going to need to plan them. But you've got Sabu and RVD, who are as reckless as hell. And you've got two other people who don't speak English. So the first five or six minutes of this match were really quite slow by the standards you would expect. They were effectively a live production meeting as the four of them try to hammer out the remaining 15 minutes, given the obvious language barrier, as best they could. And in the end, they just collectively thought, ah, oh, fuck it, and just threw everything at the wall, quite literally, and didn't really give too much credence to trying to put together anything that was especially coherent. We just got all the crashes and the bangs and the wallops, which, as you say, whether you like it or not, is what you expect from an RVD and a Sabu match. And Hayabusa and... So it's the first time I've really seen Hayabusa, but I know him and Hakushi can adapt in many different styles so they can be thrown around and go through tables and take outrageous top rope moves with the very best of them 20 plus minutes was probably a little long for two guys who did only just fly in the day before on a 13 hour flight or whatever it was i did feel a little bit sorry for them but 
they did what they were asked. They they got on the plane, got tossed around for 20 minutes, showed some things that they could do, and then took a mind-blowing finish. And then they're back with uh, <laughs> plenty of yen and a few bruises. So uh, a job well done. Yes, this is what you're going to get with Rob Van Dam and Sabu. You might not like it all the time. Hell, I don't like it all the time, but there's no point trying to fight it. You've just got to try and enjoy it. And I really, really did. So stitch that, Dave. Well, and especially with a match like this, where it's the tag champions, and they are, I mean, the belt seemed, I mean, I mean, so unimportant in this match versus two guys that are just at being advertised as being flown in for one match and then flown out. So even like the most generic of wrestling fan can't have any sort of belief that the belts are going to change hands here. And so to That's the extent, that, so to the extent that I can, that, that we, I and, and others would complain about like the lack of psychology and the just incredible Jerry Lynn match. Those guys had a four month feud and there should have been a little more thought put into what all that meant. This match was advertised as a spot fest. It, it really was. And so, you, you know, that's why I think this match gets a pass for being, for being just that. Whereas in some of these other matches, Candido storm, credible Lynn, um, I think those matches don't quite get the the hall pass that this one does because they were ad- they weren't advertised in the same way. Is we knew that this was going to be an exhibition. In theory, it's an exhibition match, showing off a what RVD and Sabu do, and how good Hayabusa and Hakushi are. Um, obviously, I don't know whether they would both come back and sort of be more permanent fixtures in ECW. As I said, either could quite easily work in both company in any company. Um, obviously Hakushi was wasted in the fed in 95, but I think if you was to put him in there now, he may sort of may do better. Uh, there's, there's guys like the rock triple H there that, he would have a good match with like he did with Brett and Owen and one, two, three kid. Um, I, I want to see more of these two and, you know, hopefully Paulie's phone book will uh, come in handy and we'll get them back over. But do you, do you feel that these two could quite easily, you know, come be major stars over in the States or, anywhere else other than sort of Japanese and Japan? I'm not sure that Hakushi would really be a great fit in with WWF these days. No. It's, uh, WCW, where the emphasis is more on in-ring action, possibly. I don't know. Raiden from... Give that Raiden Mortal Kombat gimmick again. Man, I... Keep, keep Jinsei Sasaki as far away from... Yamaguchi-san as possible, please. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, think about it. If he wasn't and, in bed, he would be with clients, I wouldn't he? But, but him against guys like Jericho and... I mean, the, uh, I don't have to list him again. We list him every, every month. We talk about all the good, you know, North American... Uh, or all the good cruisers working in North America. Jericho, Malenko, uh, Dragon. I struggle to say Benoit's a cruiser because he's, you know, huge. But I guess he is kind of too. Malenko, all these guys, you know, all the guys that we talk about every month of having all only the good matches in WCW. Um, I would love to see them against those two uh, or, or these two against all those guys. I don't want these guys anywhere near the WWF. 
Chris, this is where you play in the Orient Express music. that some point you know vince might not go oh he's asian let's give him the generic asian theme wait isn't that aja kong no that's full mcconnell's music oh no it was already oh no it's all of that's right and always will be so our next contest is for the fuck the world heavyweight title and it is a false count anywhere match, seeing Taz versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam opens the match with clubbing blows and a powerbomb. Taz is straight up, a la Road Warriors, again, as we saw earlier on. We get a hip throw, some stiff boots, a clothesline, and a Samoan drop. They then battle their way onto the ramp. Again, more kicks to the head. But Bam Bam then gets pushed into the crowd. Taz jumps off onto Bam Bam, who catches him and smashes him into the railing and ramp. Chair shots and they brawl into the crowd. They manage to get their way all the way to the entrance ramp, where Bam Bam lobs the railing at Taz. Taz then shoots the double leg and gets a two count, hits a Tazplex for a two count. And then they wander back into the crowd as they battle their way through. Taz puts on an arm bar in the middle of the crowd. They then brawl a little bit more and walk around some more. He goes for the Taz mission, but this is countered into a jawbreaker. And now they're back actually around the ring. More chair shots and back into the ring. We get a pop off by Bam Bam, who then goes for a table. Bam Bam launches Taz through the table, then moves the broken bits and remain of that into the other corner. Taz hits a clothesline, hits the T-bone Tazplex through the remaining bit of the table, and some big head kicks. Bam Bam hits a clothesline and back onto the ramp. Bam Bam goes for a slam, only for Taz to hit him with a Tornado DDT that goes through the ramp. Bam Bam is the first one out of the hole, Taz runs out, puts on the Taz mission, and gets the win. After the match, Taz yells at Shane, beat me if you can, survive if I let you, which makes Shane lose his shit and lob a monitor from the balcony into what looks like the crowd area. Overall, this match, I don't think, was as good as the last few Bam Bam and Taz matches. I mean, what doesn't help this one is the wandering, walking brawl spots through the crowd. It doesn't really sort of go well with, for these two. Um, again, we get a let's break a bit of equipment and make a hole, this time with it being the ramp. This this was the only match of the evening that disappointed for me. Um, Eric? Yeah, I, I agree. I think this was clear in a way the most disappointing match on the really the only disappointing match on the card, really, because um, it was the only match that truly didn't even come close to what I was expecting. Um, not even in terms of how the match was laid out or anything like that, because you know I'm not qualified to do that, but just in terms of entertainment value i mean half the match took place outside they were playing ice skating on this wet floor and you couldn't see him half the time and 
just it was basically a you know seven minutes of a 13 minute match or however long this was where it was just kind of a cop out um don't get me wrong it's always going to be impressive to see taz lob bam bam bigelow around that's never not going to be entertaining but they've been doing that for months now and it'd be nice to actually see taz work a match um we know bigelow can work we've been watching him do it for years and all you know in all different sorts of federations around the world we know the guy can work he doesn't necessarily always do it in ecw because you can get away with not working in ecw and still put a match like this together but i don't know that i've ever really seen taz work a high quality match that didn't involve lots of leaning on crowd brawling and gimmicks i mean we've seen him beat dudes in three four or five minutes and you know, squash match style or He's had good matches with RVD, but it's RVD. I mean, he's kind of like Shawn Michaels at this point. You can, you know, he can have a good match with anybody. I wanted to see Taz and Bam Bam have some semblance of a wrestling match, and they just didn't. And then the finish was fine, I guess, but the storyline coming out of it, spoiler alert, is that Bam Bam was reaching for the rope and didn't tap out. So they do all this stuff. They have this hard-hitting brawl. Taz taps Bam Bam, and then now the finish is disputed. It's very WCW-like. And so I don't think the match was laid out very well. I don't think that they worked um, uh, the style that I was hoping they would in a match like this, um, seeing as they've had so many other matches that have gone into the crowd, have involved high spots, tables, ring breaking, etc. And they leaned on all that again here, and they kind of just played the hits, but not in a way that came together in a very satisfying way. Rory? Three and three quarters in the Observer, which just listen to us say. Yeah, it never really got going. It didn't to me almost. If I hadn't known any better, I wouldn't have thought that these guys were actually feuding. Let's say that. It felt like a match between two guys who you wouldn't normally see face each other. Let's see what you can do in 12 minutes. It didn't have the intensity, which I've come to expect from Taz matches. Bam Bam, we talk about him being a great big guy, and he is, but he still needs to be in there with somebody he can really work around, and conversely can work around him. I don't think that was really happening here. Not that they weren't cooperating or anything, I don't mean that, but neither guy really seemed to be in the red zone. When you consider this as our only quote-unquote genuine title match of the evening, I was expecting a bit more oomph behind it, and I didn't think it was there. Two things that artificially tried to boost it up didn't really work. One, I didn't need to see a redux of the going through the ring spot. You can play that off as an accident in kayfabe. It happens the first time. Happens the second time when you go through the ramp, you're just like, yeah, okay. Been there, seen it, done it. And it just shows that ECW don't have much, <laughs> don't have much stock tied up in uh, <laughs> hardware ability. <laughs> Yeah, if that, if that ramp's going out, they got a guy debuting later in the month named Big Sal. He's just going to fall right through it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that could have been, yeah, if Shemi wasn't on this card, actually, he could have, no, trying, trying to get out of it. He'd still be there now if that was the case. And secondly, this is, well, we can talk about this as well, that Douglas was doing his absolute utmost on commentary to make this seem important. He was the only person who really seemed to be, and that includes Joey Styles. Uh, he was going apoplectic at Bam Bam, possibly losing this match. But he was brilliant on commentary all night. Might, we might as well talk about it now. Everything he said added something to the match. But he wasn't overbearing. If you go back and watch the tape, he doesn't actually interject that often. 
But when he does, he really had something important to say. Talk about the psychology of the match, how important it was. He wasn't frightened to praise the baby faces when it was required to. So I thought Douglas, who I've always been fairly lukewarm to throughout his entire, entire career, was an absolute revelation on commentary here. Big two thumbs up. I just want more thing about the finish. I get what they were going for, but they didn't get the visual right. It happened a little bit too quickly. ECW won't like this comparison, but if that happens in the Fed, you know they're going to get the low angle shot. You're going to see Bam Bam struggling for the ropes, really making it look like he could be just trying to actually trying to reach for them. But no, it is him tapping out. It didn't really look like either from the camera angle we got. And considering this is supposed to be the angle which keeps this feud going, they should have made that look a bit clearer. But yeah, far from a disaster, it was a fun brawl. But a fun brawl is probably one of the last things we should have got from these two at this point. Well, and it was kind of dumb because he was on the outside of the ring reaching for the rope. And, like, I get that ECW doesn't have the same rules as everybody yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, right. But how the fuck can you break, have a rope break when the hold's on the outside of the ring? I just don't get it. Just do that. Just do that spot in the ring. You don't, it doesn't exactly. need the extra. It just looks it, too much of a suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Um, Coming out of this, obviously, you know, the end scene of this of this match was obviously Taz and Shane having a little conversation, shall we say, uh, where Shane loses his shit and lobs a monitor down from the commentary box. Two things on this. Obviously, we know that Shane is not going to be about for at least another two to three months. I get that obviously as soon as he comes back, the first thing we're going to get is him and Taz. But because we know these two can't fight, should Shane be as good as it's been? I'm not saying it's it's been bad, but the way that Shane has been playing this with what he does here and then for the rest of the month, the promos that he cuts and his talk and how he goes on about how he's going to get Taz doesn't help that they're going to be in the same building all the time but we know we're not going to see anything because of the injury Rory I might as well say it now I was going to say this in my final review of the show but now's a good good a time as any I really want to see Sabu versus Douglas soon and I do think the one thing this pay-per-view was missing was a really big, meaningful match. I mean, the main event kind of gets there, which we'll talk about in a second. But that's the one thing this show is probably lacking. And yeah, I know Douglas is injured and he will be for a while. We were never going to get it here. Again, I don't think there's much more we can glean from these two just join with each other. I think the best that got us when it looked like, well, not that anybody thought it was going to happen, but when Taz joined the triple threat and then immediately turned on them again, I think that was the high watermark for this feud without them actually getting it done in the ring. And a lot of talk is that it will be at November to remember that's the biggest show of the year. Okay, but that's on November the 1st. It's touch and go whether Douglas will be ring ready for that one. There aren't many more places they can go without rehashing things. It's just going to make them both look a little bit stupid if they can't really legitimately finally settle this. I mean, this isn't a Sting-Hogan thing either. It's, there are many, many differences that I'm sure I won't insult the intelligence of our listeners by not going into or going into here. But they just need to be wary that they cannot keep this going on forever. 
as I say, it's one of those of the fact of the triple threat. There's only Chris and Bam Bam that he can go through, and he's already gone through Bam Bam for the majority of this year. That's what I mean. The whole Bam this is what the third big match they've had, and yeah. now we're into. I mean, Bam Bam kind of the placeholder feud. We're into August already. Mm, we've still got time, at least time, three time, months. Time is ticking. Plus, about I really don't like this FTW title thing. I really don't like it. I think it makes Taz look stupid. I really do. Douglas was right to bag on him on commentary about it. Eric? It's really tough because what ECW doesn't have are top, top, top guys. And the ones that they do have are kind of homegrown. Shane Douglas, Tommy Dreamer, uh, Sandman, Taz. And so you have a, and Shane Douglas is truly their, their, you know, flag bear. Really he is. Um, and he's hurt and he can't go. And they've made this kind of what I think is an awkward decision to keep the belt on him while he's out for four or five months, however long it is. And would it not be better to have a situation where Douglas drops the belt due to injury? And then you worry about that making him a face, but we can fix that as I walk through this outline of how I would have rebooked ECW. Jeff Parker, shout out to you. Um, <laughs> and... Um, so why not have Douglas drop the belt due to injury? And you kind of get a little bit of sympathy on him for that. And Taz makes it to the finals of a tournament against another one of the top heels. Maybe it's Bam Bam. Maybe this is a situation where you put over somebody like a Bubba Dudley to have a transitional title reign or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter who it is. And Douglas cost Taz the championship match. And then somehow, some way you get back to it and they have a, match for the title at some point when Douglas gets back and is truly fit, which might not be until, do they have a show in January or February at this point? I mean, we're not too optimistic about the November show for Shane. So uh, you need really need to do something here to stretch this out. And the way they've done it here has not been to do that, but it's been to just kind of rehash and recycle and put it back through the laundry, uh, a bunch of different ways. And Shane's doing everything he can on commentary to keep this feud alive and, and Taz is doing everything he can in the ring uh, to stay strong and stay credible. But there are only so many opponents that they can throw at Taz and keep the focus on him and Douglas. Uh, if Douglas isn't going to be back for a while, they need to do something different because this is just going to get old. And it's really what it's going to do is stall Taz's momentum. And the fact that we've kind of now realized that he's not necessarily this reliable in-ring technician, he almost needs to be protected uh, more than I ever thought he would and the way to not do that is just to keep him in arbitrary matches he really needs to have a focus uh, to keep this mystique of his character mm. i was gonna say truth if if all goes as it is and, he do, and shane doesn't come back till november that'll be six months that ecw has not had a world champion and a championship defense could you world imagine champion. could you imagine not having a world champion you know, on TV, defending their belt regularly. What a world. Yeah, it's it's one of those of, you know, the 30-day rule. Right. But it's sort of, I, I like your idea of the, what they should have done is, you know, when it was said that he was going to be out for as long as we knew, they did the sort of, he relinquishes the title, does a, a tournament for it, you know, give him that whole sort of thing. If he gets the first shot when he's back, so he can, you know, have a title match to get his title back. And yeah, maybe sort of give it to a, a Bubba or I don't know, 
Sabu, RVD. There's there's plenty of guys that you could Mike give. Mike Awesome. Mike, yeah, Mike Awesome. You know, there's there's plenty of guys that they, you could give a short term run with the title because as we know, ECW's t- world title isn't you know super prestigious. It's not like you know held in super regard as for a long period of time it was nowhere near even main events. You know, I I sort of like the idea of Taz having his own belt and going, fuck it, I'll have my own belt. But the fact that it's the belt changes week to week. One week it's a black strapped thing that looks like a knockoff of the old Fed belt. And then other weeks it's the orange belt thing with a sticker that says FTW on it in yellow, yellow stick with black print. It looks cheap. It looks tacky. And, you know, it, it doesn't really help or work and especially when you've got that there is a, a world championship belt there that they could do something with if they just fought outside the box a little bit anything else that you wanted to add either of you I just no. think they need to get the belt off Douglas like you, you can heat him back up you, you know it would be poetic justice if he has to give up the belt to somebody three years after we all know what happened I just as much as we say that ECW don't take the world title seriously that's absolutely true I just don't like seeing it over the shoulder of somebody in the commentary box for four, six, eight months and we have to pretend that a made up belt is the most important one I, I just can't swallow it yeah it's weird or at least use this opportunity to elevate the TV title but TV champions and tag matches so we go to our main event of the evening, which is a Dudleyville street fight. Seeing the Dudleys, Big Dick, Bubba, and Devon, who are joined by Jeff Jones, Joel Gertner, and Sign Guy Dudley, going against Spike, Sandman, and Tommy Dreamer. We open up with Joel and Bubba Ray being on fine form.
There's not one man in this whole arena who's got the guts to get in the ring with the Dudley Boys. If you got the guts, fat man, bring it on down to the ring. You're gonna need that crutch when the Dudley boys are done with you. I guess you're just mad that I was with your mother last night. And in the words of my brother Devon, without any further ado, it is now time for Brother Gardner. Shut the hell up. Is it hot in here, or is it just me? Well, well, well. Dayton, Ohio. Amazing where people can live these days. It is I, the man your mother warned you about, the man that makes your panties moist, and the only man that matters Hotter than a heat wave and harder than Chinese algebra, the quintessential stud muffin myself, Joel, I always leave them sore, yet they keep coming back for more, Gertner. Also in the ring at this time, he is a referee with integrity and a referee with hair. The extreme official, Jeff Jones. What a sellout. Accompanying him to ringside, the trashiest prostitute to ever enter professional wrestling our valet Fuck. and love slave, Come on. Beulah McGillis-Luddy. That damn doll is the only way Gertner's ever gonna get laid in this lifetime. And at my right, my colleague, you saw him suffer on ECW television. A torn ACL, a damaged patella tendon, a ruptured rectum. I bet Joe caused that injury himself. I mean, in a deviated septum and a kidney stone. Nonetheless, he stands before you as the quiet behind the riot and the innovate and the innovator of silence. Sign, God, the 
And at this time, here they are, the transcoastal, transcontinental, and intergalactic six-man tag team champions of the wrestling world. First, from the Twisted Steel section of Dudleyville, 368 pounds, 26 and one half inches of arms attached to the man who can rip the Guinness Book in half with his bare hands and beat the snot out of Ripley, believe it or not, pro wrestling's only real mastodon, Big Dick Dudley! Talk about a criminal. Representing the south side of Dudleyville, and weighing in at a slim, trim, buff, cut, ripped. No, no, I didn't say stud muffin says. Weight unknown, here's D. Vaughn Dudley. So what you just would have heard is Bubba basically challenging anyone in the WWF, WCW, the crowd, anyone in earshot to a fight. After Joel Gertner is on top form as always, Spike, Tommy and Sandman all come down with ladders. Tommy and Devon start. They exchange punches. Devon goes for a sunset flip. The turns it into a defense and gets a two pin. This goes into the two pin combos. Tommy then hits a hangman neckbreaker from the second rope. Tag to Bubba and Spike comes in too. Bubba lobs him about until he goes for a press slam. Spike manages to slip his way out and quick roll up for a two. 
Bubba then hits an elbow and a diving Bubba bomb, a stiff lariat, and a huge backdrop. Bubba misses a splash, which gives Spike a little bit of hope. He reverses a powerbomb into a Hurricane Rana and grabs a beer that's smashed into the face and a face drop that gets a one count. A tag to Big Dick and Sandman comes in and they both brawl all the way to the floor and then all six of them go at it. Tommy and Devon are brawling in the crowd. Back into the ring, Bubba and Sandman go at it. He hits a Frankensander. Spike climbs up a ladder and dives from the ladder inside the ring all the way to the outside, landing on all of the Dudleys. Sandman then slams a ladder onto Devon that then hits a senton. Big Dick back into the ring hits a backdrop onto the ramp. They then triple team Tommy. Bobber hits a senton from the second rope and then on top of the ladder. Spike hits an acid drop that gets a two count. Devon hits a side slam onto the ladder and then Sandman beats on Big Dick with a cane. All the Dudleys are put in the Tree of Woe. Tommy puts a figure four on Sign Guy until Dirty Ref Jones comes in to break it up. He gets a pile driver on the blow-up doll and does Tommy's symbol. Tommy then hits a pile driver on him. Gertner comes in and he gets put in the Tree of Woe too. Everyone gets hit with chair-assisted drop kicks, with Ref Molyneux hitting Gertner. Tommy hits the Dreamer Driver for a two. Big Dick hits total penetration onto a ladder, and then dumps Spike through a table on the outside. Sandman canes Big Dick. He then eats a big chair shot, but Bubba misses the following splash onto the ladder. Tommy hits a DDT onto the ladder and gets the win. Post-match, Jack Victory is out with a guitar and smashes it over the head of Sandman. And then the faces all get a beatdown. That is until we hear the dulcet tones of Natural Born Killer and New Jack makes his way out. He uh, smashes stop signs, Bins hitting a golf club to the balls of Jack Victory, a guitar shot, and we go off the air with all of the faces posing on top of ladders. Well, it wouldn't be an ECW show if we didn't have our walking weapons brawl of the evening. And as always, we get a good quality one involving the Dudleys. Is there anything that the Dudleys can do that isn't great? Eric? Well, they, that uh, golf, you said golf club to the balls, right? Yeah. I think that was the third fall to Gotch Hack and Schmidt in 1908, too. I think that's how that finished. <laughs> uh, no, man. So the, <laughs> I've, for two years, I have resisted the walking brawl as a form of entertainment. Because it's not wrestling, but fuck the Dudleys have turned me uh, turned me into a believer. I, this is a very this is a style of match. This is just 
what the Dudleys do. Now, the individual Dudleys, especially Bubba and Devon, have shown and do show this month that they are individually very good workers in the ring. Uh, Bubba sells very, very well for a big man. He might be ascending to best big man in the business status. Um, now that Vader's probably looking finished and you know Bam Bam is doing fuck all with Taz. And so Bubba's doing very well and Devon is a good worker. But then when you get Big Dick and the rest of the Dudleys it, and it becomes this, this Dudleyville brawl and it's just you can't not be at least entertained in a morbid sense with something like this. And they just always find a way. They just always find a way to make it different. And in this match, you had the ladders with Spike, and you had the ref spot with Jeff Jones and uh, and uh, Jim Molino hitting the tree of woe on Gertner. And you know, bless Gertner for taking that with a what's clearly been a chronic neck injury that he's had for years. So, um, and so, uh, and then if you're going to use New Jack, don't put him in a match. Use him here. I mean, this was the this is how you use a guy like New Jack, and this is how you use a guy like Jack Victory, who's potentially a worse worker than New Jack. And you have him come in here and just contribute to what's already just this car wreck, side of the road brawl, and it works really, really well. And the right team went over. I think. I think you need to have a pay per view like this that did have kind of some you know weird finishes, especially at the beginning. Um, and then the Taz Bam Bam match, which I think was disappointing. I think you needed the faces to go over here. Now, I may have had the Dudleys go over to keep their heat up. Like, Chris, I think you and I talked about this last month, and it just kind of, you know, if the Dudleys won here, that showed that ECW is going in one direction. And if Dreamer and Sandman won here it, and Spike, it showed you they were going in a different direction. And it looks like they might be headed towards a more rapid conclusion of this Dreamer, Sandman, Dudleys feud than I thought they might if the Dudleys were to win here, be that as it may, it was the right finish. And I'm certain it sent the crowd home happy, which is all you can ask for in a pay-per-view. So um, yeah, for what this was, it was fantastic. I think as you say, yeah, for the end of the show, the good guys getting the win, that, that visual at the end of like, you know, the, the four, Arguably the four biggest baby faces in the company. Well, cer- certainly, and and um, that visual with the ladders too. I mean, again, this is something that you can tell ECW is starting to pay attention to ours, and it's something that WWF has always been good at, and it's something that WCW is really bad at. And it's not only do you have good matches and good good cards and good layouts. I mean, the WWF has not always done that, but what they have done well is that visual, that one snapshot, the photograph. The picture you can show in the still image when you're hyping, you know, the 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 replay on Tuesday night, um, you get the shot of the ladder. You get the finish with uh, Hakushi and RVD and Sabu and Hayabusa. You get just these images that sell the show, and that's what you need as much as you need a coherent, consistent match. And they've gotten really, really good at doing that, and it just makes them feel bigger than it used to. And. As you said, uh, the, the one thing that may have sort of been, if this was going to be the the veal handle and blow off, would have been if Bueller had turned up and got her revenge. Um, but with with all of these, it could only take sort of Bubba and Devon cutting one of their promos where they literally call out anyone and any arena can turn into a riot, and then being the most hated guys in any company. I think uh, 
you could put these all as even defending the ECW fans. You could probably get another six months out of these lot having brawls, and people will quite happily pay to see them. Rory, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on whether this was a worthy main event. And considering there was no real title match, it probably was. I mean, this match was all about what happened to Beulah last month. And as such, the importance was built into it, especially after that near 15-minute promo from the Dudleys and Gertner beforehand. I mean, they really helped build this one. I, th- I think the fans were ready for it anyway, but they really helped push it over the edge and made it seem like a genuine pay-per-view main event. You'd almost think this was a months-long feud, yet it's only really existed for about four or five weeks. If you said to me, if you showed this to me three years ago with no context, I would have just said, oh, this is all ECW is about, just to use Steve Austin's line, just a bunch of violent crap with no real rhyme or reason or coherence or meaning to it. But everything I saw in this match, I tied back into the feud. So when you've got Tommy Dreamer chasing Devon Dudley over rows and rows of empty chairs. I buy into it. I'm like, yes, he just really wants to get to this guy for what happened a month ago. And if it means walking over yards and yards and yards of yellow plastic, then that's what he's going to do. The spots were well played. The only one I didn't like was when the ref gets gets involved. I've hate. I've, I've never ever been a fan of rogue ref angles anyway. And why wouldn't you just fire them? I don't like seeing Jim Molino getting involved. There's no need to do that. If he could do these things, like if, if, if he could DDT people like he did last year, if he can hit a starting drop kick, why isn't he a wrestler? Too much of a stretch. But that was the only real down part of this match. I thought Spike really took his chance here of thrust into the main event picture. Did not look overawed at all. And I think that was important because I know what happened two days afterwards with Sandman, but he really did seem like the odd man out here. I, yes, he took his bow at the end, as he was always going to, but he didn't really contribute a whole lot to the match. You can tell that the wranglings were still taking place at this point. It looks like they put an end to those now. He plays a heavy role in hardcore TV the weeks going forward, so it looks like the Sandman is going to stick around, as I think he needs to for his and everybody else's own good. This was just fun, and it was ECW's version of a feel-good moment. And it, we even got to see Tommy Dreamer actually celebrate a win this time. Well, sort of. So, overall thoughts on the show as a whole and your score, Rory? Yep, tremendous show. My favourite ECW pay-per-view so far and their best, which is a rare combination to pull off because favourite and best are two very different things. They scored Mm -hmm. highly on them both. Yes, I still think we needed a real Matt Classic and we probably didn't have that A-grade important match but, as I say, circumstances dictated that we probably weren't really going to get that. Based on what we did get, it was really entertaining. Sunday night entertainment at its very best. Wholesome family stuff it might not have been. But um, it's probably, certainly since they went to pay-per-view, the best introduction I would recommend for anybody trying to start on this Wacky Road down ECW lane. It had the little bit of everything you would expect from them, but they were all good examples of it. So, while this is far from a faultless show, it's the best you're going to get with, as I say, the circumstances. So, my joint highest mark of the year, along with WrestleMania, 8.5 out of 10 for this show. Mm. Check it out. Eric? 
That's high praise. Um, really, I think my biggest criticism of this card is there was no breather. There was nothing to ever, they had some promos spliced in and they had, I guess the only thing that would have been the 15 minute promo before the main event. But by that point we were already burned out. I mean, there were so many great matches on this card and such a variety of things happening and the pace of every match, even the Taz Bigelow match, which we criticized for not liking the way it was structured still did have a lot going on in it. Um, and then you cap, you, you know, put, the Douglas storyline on top of that. And this card was just relentless. If anything, its biggest flaw was that it didn't have that five or six minute match in the middle of it to break it up. Um, that's a, that's a really good sign for ECW. They were able to put just a relentless card together like this. And they didn't even really use everybody that they could have used too. I mean, some really talented folks were left off this card. And so all of the things were already said are true. And, you know, frankly, when the most disappointing match was still, you know, probably three, three and a half star uh, Candido Storm match, and the worst match of the night was Bam Bam and Taz, which was still entertaining. It still would have been the best match on any, you know, hardcore TV or even on some of these ECW pay per views and specials that we've covered over the years. So, all that being said, yeah, high praise here. Really, really strong, uh, really strong card from top to bottom. I, I think I have to echo Rory here. I think I have to go eight and a half. You know, nines and tens are reserved for all-time classics. I don't think this quite got there because none of the matches had the stakes that are necessary and really had the anticipation of that mammoth sea change that you get sometimes. But eight and a half for a for a card that didn't really have a true main event and had no world title match, I think that's about as good as it can get. So I am going a bit bigger than both of you. I'm going with nine out of ten. Um, you know, it's... It's got amazing wrestling. It's got amazing violence. It basically, is the perfect ECW show. You know, it okay. It doesn't have the Mac classic as obviously we've had in the past, but this is easily the best pay per view and easily the best show since the pay per view started in ECW. And maybe. Even you know, am I am I clutching at yours a little bit here? But to say the best pay per view this year so far, you know, when when your only criticism is it doesn't have a piss break match, you know, it says that for your two and two and three quarter hours of banging entertainment, you can, you can't go worse than sort of just popping this on. And I will probably imagine this will be at the high end of end of years as well. So, yes, Heatwave 98 is a must-see show. We go in to what has been an awesome month of hardcore TV, as well as a great pay-per-view. First week's show is basically just sort of highlights and still pictures of the pay-per-view. We get a promo from Bam Bam saying that he never tapped out. Taz had a promo where he says there's nothing sadder than someone whining and that he's going to beat Shane. And when he does, he's going to take the belt. For some reason, we get footage of Sabu versus Taz and Taz from Shane from 1997. We get a promo from John Finnegan saying that Bam Bam did tap out. We get a promo from Lance Storm saying that he's going to take home Tammy when they next have a match against Chris Candido. 
we get a promo from Mike Awesome saying that the biggest mistake that he made was leaving Tanaka alive. And we also get a just incredible promo saying that he's going to take all of the belts. The only real main talking point of this show is a shame promo which ends the show where he says that he is the reason ECW is here today, which you will hear now. 98 saw Tommy Dreamer finally get revenge on the Dudley. I said stop that tape. You hold this. Let's get something perfectly straight around here. Nobody, but nobody gives a about Tommy Dreamer and that and that broken neck. Francine, would you walk off and out of this sport if somebody broke your neck? Not a shot. I'd manage in a wheelchair. Exactly. And that's my point. That's my stinking point. You don't think I feel the heat rising up back on my ass end? Sabu is trying to steal victories off of Rob Van Dam. Trying to mess it up victories. He get a shot at me. Rob Van Dam is starting a trophy self. Trying to amass enough belts and make himself the world heavyweight champion. <sighs> Taz, you go out, you make yourself a belt, call yourself a world heavyweight champion, and my friend, what you are is making yourself a moron in this sport, a pretender to this damn throne. Five years ago, five long years ago, Taz, I made this organization, I put this organization on the map. And you, you make a living in it because of me. You have a place to call yourself the FTW champion because of me. This organization is here today because of me. And Taz, let me just fill that little thick skull of yours with some information. You did not beat, contrary to what you said, you little jackass, you did not make Bam Bam Bigelow tap. You did not make him tap. Look at his eyes. Look at his hand. He was reaching for the rope! You got it! You got it! We ain't done here now. Now the Triple Threat makes its claim. We stake our claim. This Saturday night, Francine and I have a secret. We got a little surprise, Taz. This Saturday night in the ECW arena, Bam Bam Bigelow, Chris Candido, Francine are gonna make damn sure you don't get your hands on me until I'm damn ready because, Taz, the ECW World Heavyweight title is my belt! My belt! My belt! <sighs> so, going into week two's TV, we open up with highlights of Lance Storm versus Chris Candido. Lance wins after using a superkick. Interesting side note was that Tammy is not here. Um, we get a promo from Lance saying the reason that that was is because he may have uh, phoned up the Fed to get her back to where she should be. But from what we see of this highlight package, this is an amazing match between these two and has to be said, if only I could get hold of it, I would have done a full match through and watched it in full time and time again. We then get highlights of Taz versus Sabu. During the match, Bam Bam comes out and attacks both guys, which turns it into a three-way dance. Again, potted highlights, which I would have loved to see in the whole thing. The match goes to a time limit draw and is hard-hitting as fuck. 
we end the month, thankfully, with the full match of RVD versus Jerry Lynn for the TV title. RVD wins after hitting a top rope Van Dominator. If you're going to watch anything as well as the pay-per-view this month, please make it be this match. This may be near the top end of match of the year. Both of these guys are fucking amazing. Lynn is so good in a losing effort. As I said, a must-see for all wrestling fans. Obviously, I did send notes to both of you guys that I wasn't doing full match breakdowns, but we will cover each of the matches in turn. Eric, your thoughts, first of all, on the uh, highlights of the Lance and Candido match. Oh, it made me realize that what I thought about their match at Heatway was kind of right, that they were, for whatever reason, holding back or not quite emptying the, the, the treasure chest that they could have. Um, it's too bad that ECW edits these matches. I get why they do it, because their revenue is probably still precipitated on, on uh, ticket-selling instead of television. I get it. But these matches that they're just leaving on the cutting room floor are too good to not be uh, viewed by people uh, across the country and across the world. So, um, boy, if they're leaving this kind of stuff on the cutting room floor, uh, I can only imagine, you know, what the vault's going to be like uh, when they eventually have a, an ability to put television, uh, these on television or put tapes together or, or whatever. Uh, because this is a match that they only showed probably three or four minutes of, and you could just tell that it was fantastic. Rory? Yeah, it looked really good, didn't it? And to tie back what I said to the pay-per-view about these two, it shows what they, or gave at least a hint of what they're really capable of, Mm -hmm. and I do hope we get a chance to properly see something akin to it again soon. So we'll stick with you, Rory. Your thoughts on the impromptu freeway dance that went to the time limit draw? Wow, um, quite frankly. We, we did get a fair bit of this. It was supposed to be half an hour. I still think we've got a good 14, 15 minutes of it from what I was able to tell. And it was madness, wasn't it? Again, probably a better performance from Sabu alone than I've seen for a fair while. I don't know what he, whether he's feeling particularly motivated or anything these days, but he really seemed to be up for this one. And he was probably the MVP of the match, if I'm honest. And it's been a while since I've, actually said, uh, since I've actually said that. I've, he's somebody I've more than had my reservations about for a while, probably since his match with Taz at uh, Barely Legal last year. But this looked mega intense. It would have been a real emotional roller coaster, of what I could tell. Apparently, the underneath the arena lights, it was well over 100 degrees, degrees during that match. It looked it. And what I've read about it, they really did go full throttle for 30 minutes. It's just tantalising, isn't it? We don't get to see this stuff. But like Eric says, I know why why they don't. But if ECW could just put something together and make their TV just a little, TV presentation just a little smoother, then we could. I think it would actually help them sell pay per views as well if they could just try to get a slot of one and a half hours rather than just an hour, so they don't have to make these judicious edits. Because the people who are watching ECW on some obscure channel at 2am in the morning, they're going to want to see all of this stuff. They are not going to be satisfied with potted highlights. I see why they do it, but it is frustrating. But the match looked phenomenal. Tape traders 
get in trust with C Lacey, CO Caro Road. Yes, I will take anyone's hand off if they have the full show of this. Eric, your thoughts on the freeway? Man, they used a railroad spike, which might be my might be my line uh, for for weapons in wrestling. It was disgusting. Yes. Um, and you know maybe it's good that they just showed potted highlights because if they were to televise a thirty minute time limit draw, we'd we'd be getting callbacks to Crockett. So. Um, you know, I think a 30-minute draw for television might be a little much in 1998. Um, but still, this match looked like something that if I was in the crowd for it, I would have been in it for all 30 minutes. Uh, it was, it looked great and disgusting at the same time, which I guess is probably what ECW is going for sometimes. So it is time to, thankfully, we got the whole of this match in full. Eric... Is there any argument now about RVD being the best wrestler in the US right now? And could an argument made that Jerry Lynn may also be one of the most underrated wrestlers that we have working right now? You know, gone are the days of Mr. JL and working under a hood. This boy can go. Man, you know, when RVD first started getting pushed about a year and a half ago, we all had the same criticism, which was, God, that guy can move, but he just needs to slow down. His timing is off. His mechanics are awkward. You know, people aren't used to working with somebody like RVD. And so he needed to slow down and they kind of needed to get up to speed on what he was doing. And while RVD has been perfecting his craft over the last year and a half or two years, they found this guy named Mr. JL out of Atlanta who just seems to be the perfect foil for Rob Van Dam. I mean, they're built the same. They have similar athleticism, uh, and they have good contrasting styles. Jerry Lynn basically wrestles a very face version of the same style that RVD wrestles, if you think about it. Um, and the other thing that we it's not apparent, but Jerry Lynn's been around for quite a while now. And so he's got that seasoning that RVD needs to be sprinkled with to really make RVD what I think is going to be the top guy in ECW by the end of 1999. Uh, I don't think there's any, any path where RVD is not the Shawn Michaels, uh, Bret Hart, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan of ECW by the end of 1999 with the way that this guy's going. Um, and maybe I'm just super biased, but this guy is fantastic. And then you get to the match itself, and these guys just beat the piss out of each other. But it wasn't in such a way where you didn't believe every minute of it. And RVD uses those stalling heel tactics tactics wonderfully. He knows how to break up the flow of a match. They really heat it up and slow it down and heat it up and slow it down. And although they use chairs and tables and, and outside the ring spots, they really structured this match like an old school match where you had, you know, you get started back and forth wrestling then one person gets the advantage and they slow it down and then the next person gets the advantage and they slow it down then you go to the finish bing bang boom 15 minutes and you have a well-structured well-executed perfectly wrestled match between two guys who look like they were born to be in the ring together i can't put this match over enough rory yeah i'm i still think we're overshooting with rvd rvd just a tad in the ring I still think he has tendencies to 
lets himself get a little carried away. I think that was definitely the case through the middle and end portions of this match. For the first part, I really did get where he was coming from. He seemed to be holding himself back, which he needed to do. This match was going 15 minutes. He couldn't just go bish-bash-bosh again. But he let his tendencies run away with him. I thought Lynn really had to work extra hard to keep him in check. I knew this was happening with RVD because he was actually repeating his spots a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But, with all of that, but with all of that said, he has got... And it's almost a dreaded phrase, but I mean it with all the praise in the world. RBD has now got all the tools. I, I, I honestly think if he works a program with people like Lin, then he can really harness them, put them together, and he can be the something special, which a lot of people think he already is. I'm not one of those people, but I'd be more than happy to come back here in six months' time and say, yep, he is there now, and he is the crown jewel of extreme championship wrestling. He worked so hard in this match because I felt he knew he had to. He had to try to keep up with Lin. Like I say, he probably tried a bit too hard, but he broadly did succeed. I repeat what I said an hour ago. Just keep Jerry Lin around. He doesn't need to win titles, but he's a seasoned he's veteran. I think he's already in his mid-30s. He's been around the block a bit. Uh, he can work any style of match, and he can help really elevate Van Damme or anybody you, you choose to put him in the ring with. He did it with credible this year and earlier in the month and he could do it with Rob Van Dam as well and I think it is quite telling that this is the match we got to see all of on that TV program because they obviously want RVD to be the superstar he isn't there yet but he is very much heading in the right direction so am I the only one that's so far here going match of the year contender with this yes, it's, uh, not not top five for me very yeah. very good not top five for me uh, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I would have to go back and, and, and check. I think the problem with this match is Rory pointed out enough things that were wrong with it to where I think you can look at these two guys and maybe this is just going to be a one-off kind of, you know, TV match for RVD. Um, but you can see where these guys could have a match of the year at some point, but because they did leave a lot on the table and there was, you know, Rory did rightly point out uh, some things that were, uh, could be better thought through. I think that, you know, that uh, awarding them that uh, title now would be really shorting them on what they could possibly do in the future if they're allowed to really open it up for 30 or 40 minutes, you know, if we're lucky. So you're basically saying that my RVD biased and plays of how much I love Mr. Van Damme, maybe over overcompensating how good this was. Well, we know that you're going to nominate him for Rising Star and Wrestler and MVP of the Year anyway in four months' time, so we're just going to try to bring you down to earth while we can, but it's probably going to be a losing effort on our part. And I'm not one to put myself over, wink, wink, but I think I nominated him for Rising Star last year, so who's you really did the RVD mark here? Thank you. Yeah, it's only because I wasn't allowed on the award shows last year. <laughs> I, uh, it not, it would have been a, RVD wins everything. There's a, there's a new sheriff in town, so... Ask nicely. <laughs> so we go into week freeze TV and we open up with Shane saying that Bam Bam never tapped. This is a broken record. And that RVD with Sabu have way too much gold. This brings out Gertner who says and asks nicely if Shane would be okay if the Dudleys had the tag team gold. Shane says he doesn't care. Who has it as long as it isn't RVD and Sabu? This brings out RVD. He reminds us all 
that he is the whole fucking show. This brings out the Dudleys. Bubba says that he couldn't even take out Sign Guy. Bubba hits him with a Van Damnator and wants a big dick too. champion oh. I'm not just the world tag team champion I'm Rob Van Dam the whole show
We then get a match between Just Incredible and Sandman. It was an okay match. We see Justin win after hitting That's Incredible. Again, with same because he's come from the same taping as the week before's. They are just potted highlights. Post-match, though, we do see Justin Kane Sandman, and we get a promo, which you'll hear now. Standing by in his locker room now is Justin Credible, along with Jason... Rash. Chastity. Slut. And his bodyguard, Nicole Bass. Some man. <laughs> People are unbelievable. You can start taping now. Let me ask you a question. Does it bother you that the Sandman, born and raised in Philadelphia, got beat by a punk kid from New York? Does that bother you? Does that bother you? Does it bother you that Just Incredible beat the Sandman without help from anybody? Does that bother you? Does it bother you, Sandman, that I beat you within half an inch of your life and left you laying in a pool of your own blood? Does that bother you? I know that bothers you, Sandman. So I'm going to step up the ante. I'm going to challenge you, Sandman, to a Singapore King match. Not in my hometown of New York. No, no, no. I want you in Philadelphia at the ECW Arena, Sandman. I challenge you. I want to see how extreme you can really be. We then get the main event of the evening, which sees the tag team title defense with RVD going against both of the Dudleys. This ends in a no contest as we get a schmoz finish where Sabu comes to make the save, which brings out Bam Bam and Chris Candido. This was a fun handicap match. Um, Sabu obviously making the save at the end. Bam Bam and Candido are about, they put the champs for a table. That is until shove, out comes Taz, who shoves off Chris off the top rope while everyone's brawling. The final image of this week's show is Taz, RVD and Sabu all in the ring together with Fonzie trying to make them team up together and the crowd chanting new triple threat. Obviously, this week's show was not as match heavy as the week before's. Um, any, Any thoughts on anything that happens in this week's TV, Rory? I thought putting Van Damme in that position where he's defending the tag team belts on his own was a really quite interesting one. And I thought the match was quite fun while it lasted. He showed Arvidi came across as quite a sympathetic figure. I don't know if the plan was really to try to turn him and the team of him and Sabu face. Judging by what happened the next week, that is pretty much what kind of happened, whether it was intended or not. I mean, if you put somebody against two huge guys like the Dudleys, you're going to get the crowd behind you. So is probably what they were thinking of doing. I'm not sure I would have done it quite this early, but never mind. But it's something different. I'm always all for a bit of uh, heel-heel dissension anyway, you know. 
I'm not one of these people who believes in the, the bad guys union. Uh, they're going to dislike each other because they dislike anybody. So I thought it was quite interesting the way they set it up with Douglas getting involved as well. Eric? Well, the fact that this match occurred on the same night, I'm certain it did. Uh, that yes, it did. Yes, it did. Yes, and, yes, right. and RVD had the match that we just you know, hinted might be a match of the year. At least, you know, be in the honorable mentions. And then RVD comes out and has a match against the Dudleys, whose job it is to beat the shit out of uh, out of their opponents, and they do a very good job of it. And they did beat the piss out of RVD in this match. Don't get it wrong. Um, they did not book this really as anything but a two-on-one handicap match that was headed towards the inevitable finish until Sabu, predictably or not, but it's still always cool, uh, uh, saves the day. The other thing that I want to bring up and kind of off the board here, and we don't have to talk about it long, but Joey Styles just absolutely buries Nicole Bass constantly, and it is very uncomfortable. Uh, some of the shit he says and the way that he reacts to Nicole Bass, I, 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 I understand why he does it, but like, you know, Joey's supposed to be this, you know, face, voice of the fan commentator and jesus do they are they just relentless with nicole bass and it's like it's a little cringeworthy sometimes did you guys pick up on that yeah the 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 tranny talk is (sighs) yeah there's no real need for it. it it's not it speaks for itself that's the gimmick right it speaks for itself the whole thing about nicole bass is that she's bigger than china right but they've even said that on commentary once or twice. You don't need to make these hackneyed gags. You just don't need to do it. I think oh, this is a, maybe a controversial view, but for me, I think the bloom is long off the rose. Long off the rose with Joey. I don't think he was as great as Douglas has been on commentary. Joey is still the same Joey. I don't think he actually asked him one single question during their commentary stint this month. Mm-hmm. He's still just there, rabbiting on, just calling moves, not really getting stories over, and just making really quite nasty gags at people's appearances, which this baby face, as I've said before, should stand apart from the whole of the rest of the roster. Shouldn't really be making it's yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I would concur that Joey just, is yeah. losing, losing his way a little bit. Um, it's just so weird. Yeah. You know, is that what we could put it down to burnout of, you know, constantly being the one guy doing all of it. Yes, it's so common. I mean, he's been, he's been doing it for five years non-stop. I, I accept that. But what once was the novelty of, oh, this guy who does the commentary by himself and always calls moves like none of the other commentators do. In 1994, that is something. In 1998, when we're all a little bit smarter anyway, I don't think it's enough. They've served him well by putting him with a competent color commentator. It's not something they need to do all the time necessarily, but it's certainly something they need to do more often because it's like anything else. You don't want to just hear the same voice over and over again. And I think Joey has a Joey does have a very distinct personality and it comes across clearly on television. And sometimes after Rory, you just said, I mean, it's Christ, it's been almost, you know, four or five years of just the same voice over and over and over again. You need to break it up. And so we start to notice these things that we never noticed before because the the bloom wasn't off the rose. But now it's like, Jesus, some of the shit he says on commentary, it's like, my God. It is. It doesn't help when you look at the Fed now doesn't have Vince going, what a maneuver 
and Bischoff wrongfully calling things spinning hook kicks. Back, back leg round kick. So, yes, um, a, spo- a spoiler for the WCW show, Shivani actually called a move that at Road Wild. <laughs> <laughs> the boss gets in here. <laughs> uh, the full arm dragon twist count was at four. Okay. Yes, I was keeping score. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think obviously those early years of doing this with Joey, he was the exception to the rule because he was the one giving us proper commentary when, as I said, you had Vince with what a maneuver and Bischoff being Bischoff. I think now that you look at WCW, they've got um, Mike Tanay obviously giving depth, especially when it comes to the, the cruiserweight stuff. Um, JR and the King may not, you know, be calling moves as much, but they give stories and they give sound bites that work so much well. Take the Hell in a Cell, by God, he's dead. Joey's Oh My God has been Joey's Oh My God since day one. Maybe, you know, he needs some new shtick. So we go in to week four's TV, which opens up with Tammy and Chris. Candido. We're together as a tag team. I was definitely the better half of that team. But now that you two are together, the only better half of this team, Tammy, is you from here on down. with Tammy basically saying that she will be here for good. Out comes Lance, and we get a brawl. We then see the debut of Big Sal Graziano, as mentioned earlier. He's a big lad. Over 600 pounds, to be precise, and he's going against Spike. Spike wins with an acid drop in literally under a minute. Spike, monster killer still remains 
We then see a match between Sandman and Tracy Smothers. Sandman wins with the white Russian leg sweep. But post-match, Jason comes out. He gets caned until Justin comes out and canes Sandman. And the FBI hold him as they beat him down. The one thing I will mention for this match is during the match, there is an awesome sign in the crowd that says Sandman fears rehab. <laughs> that was the second best sign of the month behind Sign Guy's stolen gimmick victim at the pay-per-view. <laughs> and our main event of the show is a triple threat tag team title match that sees the Dudleys going against RVD and Sabu and Candido and Bam Bam Bigelow. During the match, Taz does get involved, Taz flexing the Dudleys and the Triple Threat members. Taz manages to block the 3D with an ingenious way putting it into a Taz mission. The first fall sees the Dudleys get eliminated as Chris hits a diving splash on Devon. And RVD and Sabu win the match after hitting RVD hits Candido with the Super Van Daminator. Again, another match which is hurt a little bit by the fact that all we see is potted highlights. But from what we saw, a reasonable three-way tag match. Um, any thoughts on the final weeks TV, Eric? Uh, Spike will never not be entertaining beating huge dudes in under a minute. Um, and this big Sal fellow was about as big as people get and so um it's fun just to you know spike is just this anomaly you can stick him in in any segment just to fill out a card find the biggest guy you know in the local indie scene bring him in all he has to do is take the acid drop that's an easy 50 bucks here you go it's always fun i love it it's it's one of the most entertaining because you can everybody knows what's coming they find him bigger i wouldn't be surprised if you know if the giant strolled out there and spike beat him under a minute it'd be hilarious so, uh, no, really the one thing that uh, I wanted to point out from this last week of TV, again, kind of weird stuff from the month because we've seen so much good work, but, like, Chris Candido and Devon Dudley had an exchange in that, in that triple match, triple threat match, and I don't think we've ever talked about how good of a worker Devon Dudley is or at least how good he, he can be, but he and Chris had an immediate uh, or had a, a really good uh, exchange before the match turned into an immediate clusterfuck. And that's every Dudley match we talked about it. And so just to sprinkle in some of those different things that these guys are able to do, you can really see that, you know, the Dudleys are a little bit more um, varied than I think they're given credit for. Um, I say all that to say that Bubba and um, Bam Bam had about the most disappointing big man spot uh, that took forever to develop. And you could tell this match was just kind of thrown together on the fly. Uh, good TV match. But, you know, go back and check it out and just kind of keep your eye on Devon. Um, I think he's going to surprise some people. Rory? Yeah, two very quick things. One, I do wonder what Sal was going to spend that 50 bucks on. And uh, I think we could probably guess. And two, I thought it was interesting that the Dudleys were eliminated first in that very fun triple threat main event. Because you think the Dudleys are white hot right now and they went mm -hmm. out first. Interesting. One to watch going forward, I think. But I think Hardcore TV has been excellent this month. They're really using it properly now, or as properly as they're allowed to. So that is another month in the books. Looking forward, a quick sort of discussion point. 
looking at what we've had so far from obviously the TV coming out of the pay-per-view, obviously we know that the Bam Bam Taz Shane Douglas feud is going to keep rolling on. Um, but obviously it looks as though we're moving towards Sandman and just incredible. And obviously after the praise of we've given it already and the fact that ECW do like to go back to the well with matches, maybe more from RBD and Jerry Lynn and obviously still Candido and Storm. Is there anything else that you think ECW could look forward to doing with the build going towards November to remember? You know, I the thing that I think they have to do is split up RVD and uh, and Sabu. Um, I think there's just too much talent in that tag team uh, to be uh, for those guys to be together. And I think now that we've seen that RVD can have these fabulous one-on-one matches with guys like Jerry Lynn, so it makes you think he could have good matches with people like Justin Credible and Chris Candido and Lance Storm and all these guys that ECW has underneath that are really really good. Um, even somebody like Spike Dudley would be an interesting, uh, you know, five, 10 minute TV match. So I think you have to split up RVD and Sabu because what you have in Sabu is a guy with that main event potential, main event credibility already, who's tied up in a tag team. And if you're not going to have Shane around for another couple of months, potentially, you know, uh, worst case scenario until the beginning of next year, maybe you've got to mix things up and really deepen the top of the card or else you're going to get these pay-per-views that don't have any any real stakes. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me this month, looking back at it is the revelation that like, you've got this guy in RVD, he's the television champion. You can really elevate that belt and split Sabu off. They can still be affiliated, but really deep in that main event scene, it looks like you're going to have the Sandman tied up with just incredible. And so that's probably going to end up with what the Sandman put incredible over. And so they're really trying to mix things up a little bit and, and shake up, uh, shake up the deck interesting to see when Shane will be back because I think that's really going to tell us where ECW goes in the next, you know, 90 days. Rory, same question. Yeah, they've just got to get Douglas V Taz in their books. They don't need to tell us what date it's going to happen yet, but they need to know or at least have a rough to good idea of when that match is going to happen. Because as I said earlier, I'm just starting to get a little bit tired of waiting for it now. Whatever pay-per-view Douglas is full fitness comes around for, that is what it needs to be booked, and it needs to happen. I hope that is November to remember. Just to build on the Rob Van Dam Sabu point, I also think they should be broken off, but I don't want to see them face each other in the ring again. I think we've already seen that too many times. I don't think RVD having another four, six-month run of pure spot-fest matches is going to help him any, especially as we've talked about the improvements he's made elsewhere. Going back and feuding with Sabu again, even if you turn the face-heel lines back on their head once more, we don't need to see it. But RVD and Taz are, for different reasons perhaps, the two guys that they are hitching their wagons to. And I hope that by the time we've got to the first pay-per-view in 1999, that the two of them are on top. I think they will be, but I'm just a bit worried. I'm not worried for RVD. I still think he's got time. I'm worried for Taz now. This isn't really his fault. It isn't Douglas's fault that he's injured either, but this is still their blue ribbon feud. 
which the company is being built around, and we're still not seeing it happen. See, I like your idea of splitting up RVD and Sabu. Um, I would probably give the titles to the Dudleys. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially if you look at the level of heat that they get from the crowd, because tell me a, a better worker on the mic than Gertner for just basically shitting on a crowd, especially now that they're trying to do sing along with Gertner and it's like Gertner didn't say Gertner says is just great because he knows that they're going to try and start doing it. So he just cuts it down and stops it. And Bubba basically calling out everyone and anyone. I could see you give these tag titles. They don't need feud. They don't need to have any storylines. Every night can be a different team. Just come down and try and shut their mouths. They're a tag team who get main event level heat, so it just makes sense to put the belts on them, doesn't it? Well, they've main evented more shows than the world title has in probably the last two years, so I yeah, think yep. they're, they're absolutely the main event act in ECW right now. So, going forward, we definitely think that the Dudley should have the tag titles. RVD and Sabu should go their separate ways. And whatever happens, we need Shane back just to do this thing with Taz and get it over and done with. So, it is that time of the month where it is time to pimp your wares. Rory, anything that you would like to promote, pimp, share with I do do this thing called the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast that you might have heard of. <laughs> Does that ring any bells? <laughs> I've heard I've heard it once or twice. <laughs> yes, you can find us on the Twitters. You can find us on the Facebooks. We've been doing this for five years now, and we'll hope to be doing it for many, many more years to come. In Volume 1, I'll give the full breakdown and thank yous and tearful apologies and what have you. But for everybody who's stuck with us, whether this is your first show or whether this is your 150th, we appreciate each and every one of you listening to us every month. We could not do this show without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now that that's never never mind the thanks that Paul Heyman gives the ECW fans every month. That is how we do it here. Thanks everyone. <laughs> Cheers. Keep listening. Five dollars a month. <laughs> you get the specials for that. You get the specials. Eric. Anything for no. yourself? Well, everything Rory said, and just to point out that we have five years of a back catalog that's never going to get uh, get old um, because of the time machine that we exist uh, exist in perpetually. Um, so check all those out too. Um, but yeah, just check out Patreon, uh, Wrestling Twenty YRS, and check me out uh, at uh, at Modern Day Lawyer on on Twitter if you want more of the same witty banter that you get here on the show every month. And for myself, as always. If you want to hear my musical musings and want free music in your ears weekly, listen to Show and Tell with Tunes. Uh, that's at STL and Tunes on Twitter. Search it on iTunes. Um, most weeks goes out on either a Friday night or Saturday morning, depending on when I do the editing. But one show every week, 10 songs, if not more, if I'm doing a band special of literally anything it can be heavy as fuck 
Norwegian black metal, weird Japanese K-pop and weird dance music, country music, funk, soul. Basically, if I have a punch up for it that week when I'm making the playlist, it goes in. And both my guests today have been guests on there. So you want to know what they like musically, have a listen. It does just take this one thing that I would like to say, obviously, as we are at our fifth anniversary, I have to thank Bob very much for coming up with this idea and inviting me on back four years ago as uh, my first show was the July 94 show for the Fed and then obviously doing SummerSlam 94 and watching Brett and Owen in a cage. You know, if it wasn't his brainchild, we wouldn't be here five years later getting to arguably the best period of wrestling. Uh, so, yeah, cheers very much to Bob for coming up with this idea and managing to get someone in Norwich, someone in Birmingham, and someone in the north west of America all together on a Sunday evening to talk ECW. <laughs> a gift indeed so as always thank you very much for listening volume 1 is the Fed and SummerSlam volume 3 is WCW and Road Wild this has been volume 2 we've upgraded for the month because it was so good of ECW and Heatwave 98 and until next month or the specials at the end of the month to get the gang back together for the ECW special. We will see you soon.